Good morning. It's a little different than high school. They never respond back. (laughs) Will you please join me in a short prayer before we hear the reading? Lord, as we hear your word today, open our hearts and our minds so that we may do your will and be closer to you. In your name we pray, amen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Thank you. It was 1969 out at Lake Worth. Anybody been to Lake Worth? Right out there and yep it's it's now it's in the city limits of Fort Worth now. Um, John Reichart had parked his car over there at Lake Worth and I don't know what he was doing but all of a sudden he heard a big thump and then something put a big scratch in his car. Now he he looked and he saw something running away and he promptly decided to to tell everyone about it, it was a seven-foot-tall man-goat with scales and really long claws. He wasn't the only one that saw it. In fact, there's a festival dedicated to this monster, and he wasn't the only one that saw it. A bunch of people went out to Lake Worth, and they saw up on a cliff this seven-foot-tall man-goat with scales and long claws, and it promptly threw a tire about 90 feet right at them. They had to duck and get out of the way. Over the summer, people found dead sheep. They found tracks. Uh, The newspapers started to report on it. The headlines said things like, Fishy man-goat terrifies couples parked at Lake Worth. People were actually terrified, as silly as this sounds to us, the police had to start investigating because of how afraid so many people were. And then school started, and the monster disappeared, never to return again. Last week, we asked the question of where, where did all of this come from? And we, we saw how the universe is either eternal, it has always been, as some people say, or the universe has one beginning. And how do we best explain how that beginning came about? Well, Christianity says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. But some, some will look at, at this book and some will look at, at that first line and they will say that there is no difference There is no difference between the the God of this Bible, the God of these scriptures, the the God who created the universe. There is no difference between that and the Lake Worth monster. If you're going to believe in one, you may as well believe in the other. So we're going to look into that a little bit today, but before we do that, let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the minds that you have given us to read and to understand, and we thank you for your spirit to guide us. We ask that 
he would guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the people who would say that there is no difference between believing in the the Christian God or really any God and the Lake Worth monster, um, we commonly call them, and some of them call themselves atheists, right? Everybody knows that. Um, We're we're very familiar with that in in this culture. Now, atheism um, is, oddly enough, it is a dying worldview. Atheism is a dying worldview. You wouldn't know that if you turn on the news or watch TV, um, but atheism is a dying worldview. Um, in, in force, it's only been around since around the 19th century. Now, uh, about it's, it's gone down. Numbers have gone down to about 18% of people surveyed would consider themselves atheists. The prediction, which, you know, it's just a prediction. We never know. But the prediction is by 2060, only 13% of people worldwide will consider themselves atheists. So the number of people who would look at the world and would say that there cannot possibly be a God is going down worldwide. And in fact, it's, it's always been a relatively low number. But it is a powerful worldview. And people who hold this worldview make very passionate claims. Now, what is atheism? There are all different kinds of ways we could talk about it. Um, at one point, Christians were actually called atheists by, by the Romans and some of the Greeks because they only believed in one God when everyone else believed in so many. But what is atheism when we talk about it today? Atheism is most commonly probably thought of as a rejection of Christianity. Atheism is not just a rejection of Christianity. Atheism is a rejection that anything supernatural exists. It is a rejection of the idea that anything that we could consider supernatural exists. So if you were to ask someone like Richard Dawkins, um, where did the laws of physics come from? Dawkins, you know, we'll talk about the laws of physics and how important they are and all this kind of thing. And if you ask him, where did the laws of physics come from? You can see this, this rejection because he says, I don't know. But whatever the answer is, it can't be God. Okay? So that, that's, that's what, what uh, the atheist worldview has said, is whatever the answer is, it can't be God. A.C. Grayling, another prominent atheist, he said, he said, I don't really like to be called an atheist because that implies that I'm rejecting God. I'm not just rejecting God. He says, you could call me an atheist. You could call me an agoblinist. Um, you could call me an atheist, but it's, it's much more than that. And so an, an atheist primarily is going to reject the idea that anything supernatural can exist, whether it's fairies, goblins, the Lake Worth monster, or God. And then they are going to put faith in their ability to explain the cosmos and all of this stuff without the supernatural. That, that's what it is. It is a rejection of the supernatural, and then they are putting their faith in their ability to explain everything without the supernatural. The problem is, there are some things that we have called principles of logic. And there is a principle of logic, and I don't, I don't mean this to, to be rude. I have some dear friends who are atheists, and I love them, and, and we've had uh, some of these conversations. But there is a principle of logic um, and the, the Latin for it is ex nihilo nil fit. Can you say that? 
ex nihilo nil fit. And what it means is out of nothing, nothing comes. So if you think back to last week, if we had the, those Legos that we were using to kind of describe the universe, if the Legos never existed and there was never anything else to, to bring those Legos into existence, if there was ever a time, ever a time that absolutely nothing existed, then nothing can exist now. Out of nothing, nothing comes. Thomas Aquinas, <clears throat> he put it this way. He said <clears throat> that every effect must have a what? A cause. Not everything must have a cause. Every effect must have a cause. So if I take this oversized P here, uh, knowing my kids, his name is probably Gerald or something like that. And if I take Gerald and I roll him off of my lectern here, that is the effect. What is the cause? The cause is me rolling Gerald off of there. And if my kids um, asked if I threw Gerald, um, well, I'm not going to tell you to lie, but they might not like it. Maybe offer them a donut or something. Um, every effect has a cause. Not everything has a cause. Every effect has a cause. And I say not everything because the idea of a self, something being self-existent is logically possible. Now, I know this is a little technical, but some atheists, and, and some of these names you have heard, Peter Atkins, maybe you've heard, maybe some of you have heard of a guy named Stephen Hawking, who's actually buried at Westminster over in London. Um, they would say that God did not cause the beginning. They look and they say there is, there is one beginning, but God did not cause that. And you say, okay, well, what, what did cause the beginning? And they would say, nothing caused the beginning. This is an effect. No, nothing caused it. Gravity was there. Well, well, nothing caused it. Space was there. And, and then, it, boom, it happened. Or, or nothing caused it. And if you're a Marvel movie fan, nothing caused it. The multiverse happened. Can, can you hear the problem in those explanations? What, what is the problem with saying nothing caused it, but gravity did, space did, the multiverse did, time did? What's the problem with that? Gravity is something. Space is something. The multiverse is something. And so what they're doing is they're, they're being a little squirrely, and they're trying to say, well, nothing caused it, but then they take something because you can't violate this principle that, that out of nothing, nothing comes. And so they cannot get back to the idea that there is absolutely nothing, and then all of a sudden, something is. And so they have to redefine nothing to make it something. And sometimes they will even say, well, it, you know, in science, we say nothing is something. Okay. I don't think that really works. In fact, Keith Matheson calls that Humpty Dumpty logic. Humpty Dumpty logic. Do we have that one, Charlie? <clears throat> Humpty Dumpty said this. He said, when, when I use the word, Humpty Dumpty said, in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more, neither less. 
So here they're using Humpty Dumpty logic. When they say nothing, it means exactly what they mean, which is something. Now, what are the odds that something can come from absolutely nothing? R.C. Sproul would say there is not even a chance. He says this, a universe cannot create itself because in order to do so, it would have to exist before it existed. Only something that exists can create. If it exists, it doesn't need to be created. So if anything exists, if anything exists, if there is any stuff anywhere, something must be self-existent. Something must have the ability to, to exist on its own. Without being caused, without being created, without being made, something must exist. And the Bible says, as we saw, in the beginning, God. God is that self-existent being. God is that eternal being. God is that uncreated being that was there before the beginning, who caused the beginning. And this... This is what men like Dawkins and the others reject because they start to say, well, where did God come from? In the beginning, God. God is self-existent. He did not come from anywhere. He did not create himself. He was not made. God is the self-existent being. He is the uncaused causer. He is the one who can can knock Gerald off of the, the pulpit. He is the uncaused cause. Self-existent, eternal. When people ask that question, where did God come from? Just like Dawkins did when he was talking with, a, with another Christian scientist uh, named John Lennox. And uh, John Lennox, he said, the whole point of where did God come from is that you are thinking about a created God. But the whole point of the Bible is that God is not created. He is eternal. And I think to myself, what makes more sense that there is an eternal logos, that's that word you heard in John, in the beginning was the logos, and that the universe is derivative from him, or that there is no explanation for the existence of the universe. He's right. All of the Bible is teaching that God is uncreated. He is the self-existent being. Nehemiah 9.6 Nehemiah 9.6 says this, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. Do you you think you made all of heaven and the heaven of heavens? How much does that cover? All of it. Look at Isaiah 66.2. All these things, this is the Lord speaking through Isaiah, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this, the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So look at that. He's saying, I made all of this stuff. Look at Psalm 96, 5. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made what? The heavens. Isaiah 45, 18, what does it say? For thus says the Lord who created the what? He is God who formed the what? 
the earth, and he made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am what? The Lord, and there is no other. And then as we saw in John 1, we get this beautiful introduction where John is talking about Jesus and he's explaining who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And through him, everything was made and without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus, the Father, the Spirit are one. Uncreated, eternal, self-existent. People will go to incredible lengths to reject this. Dawkins in another place he said, and I, and I have a lot of respect for Richard Dawkins, I really do, and, and I love the way that he debates, and I love the, the way that he engages with other people, but, but this is what he said in an interview with Ben Stein, who was asking him, he said, nobody knows how life on earth got started. It could be that at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very, very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded into perhaps this planet, and that designer could well be a higher intelligence from elsewhere in the universe. And then he goes on later to say, but that thing too must have come from some sort of Darwinian means. What's more reasonable? What's more reasonable to believe? Look at the links that he's going to. Dawkins and others like them, they are creating their own Lake Worth monster. Where at the same time they accuse us of doing that, they are creating their own Lake Worth monster by saying something can come from nothing that is certainly okay. Now, I will say Dawkins has grown since that interview, and he will at least say now, I don't know where everything came from. But again, it just can't be God. Now, here's the thing. We can look at this, and we can talk about atheists, we can talk about Christians, we can, talk, we can, we can do this all day. But here, here's the thing. Did you know, did you realize that as we're looking at all of this, the thought that keeps coming into my mind is that, that many times Christians, including me, act like practical atheists? Have you ever thought about that? Many times we, we actually, even as we're, we're saying we deny that, we actually act practically like atheists. Another term for that is apatheists, right? There's apathy. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's like the atheist who is in the woods and he was going on a hike. Maybe you've heard this one. He's going on a hike and he hears something behind him and he turns and he sees a bear. And he starts to run and the atheist starts running and the bear is catching up on him and he's running and he finally he trips and he falls and he says, oh God, help me. And then this voice comes down and says, you have denied me your entire existence and now you, you are saying you believe in me? You want my help? And he says, well, I, I tell you what, you're right. Um, maybe I won't believe in you. Maybe I don't need your help. But can you at least make the bear a Christian? <clears throat> and God says, okay, fine. And so the bear, right over this atheist, pulls back, sits, folds his hands and says, dear Lord, I thank you for this food which I'm about to receive. <laughs> Many of us, many of us act 
just like that atheist where when things are going fine and everything is going how, how I want it to, I, I don't even think about God. I, my Bible's growing dusty. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's not even in my, my frame of reference. I'm not thinking about his people. I'm not thinking about any of these things. And I'm going to do what I want without regard to what, what the Spirit is saying, what, how he's leading, any of these things. Practical atheists. But then all of a sudden there's a bear. I'm in trouble. I'm sick. I'm hurt. I'm scared. I'm lonely. And we say, oh God, help me. That's practical atheism. And that is one of the things that we in the church, we, we repent of and we, we, we say, Lord, I'm sorry. That's part of why we have a time of confession is because of things like that. And here's the other question. Why do we do it? I think one reason that we do it is the same as, as the reason that some atheists hold their position of rejecting God. R.C. Sproul put it this way. He said, cosmic dust or super energy does not say thou shalt not steal. I never have to worry about being judged personally by an impersonal force. I never have to worry about being judged personally by an impersonal force. See, what did Jesus say in John 3.19? He said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. He even goes on and says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Why, why do people tend to reject God? Why do we act like practical atheists sometimes? I, I, think, I think at least one reason and maybe a big reason is this, because we're trying to escape the light. Holiness is convicting. Holiness is convicting, and it shines all kinds of light on us. I had a roommate, a guy named Taylor Yarbrough. I had a roommate in college, and, and no matter what, he would never say anything bad about his professors. Busy work, I mean, the whole thing, unrealistic expectations, bad teachers, whatever it was. And even if he and I were in the same class, I would try and get him going sometimes, and he would always have something nice to say about them. He would never say anything demeaning them. And do you know what that did to me? It was convicting. That holiness, that that light in his behavior began to show me, oh my gosh. Well, I said like five things about that guy just this morning. The holiness is convicting, and so you try and escape the light. But what does Jesus say before that? He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And do you know what comes after that? He says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And then he goes on to say that when you put your faith in Christ, you are no longer condemned. You see, in Christ, we are free from judgment. It was already done. The judgment was already put on him. We don't have to run from the light. We don't have to run from the light. It was already done. It's already been taken care of. All all the times, all the things that I said about those professors, whatever I did last week, today, tomorrow, it, it was all put on him. If my faith is in Christ, it is on him. All of it. Complete. He took it. And then he gave me his righteousness so that the Father sees me as through the Son. 
holy, blameless, sanctified. That's how Paul describes one of the worst churches in in Scripture, the Corinthians. Holy ones, saints, put on the righteousness of Christ. You don't have to run from the light anymore. You don't have to run from Jesus anymore. You don't have to create some men who were seated on a planet some other time that came about by something and they came about from nothing. Because we don't have to run from the judgment. Instead, we can look to Jesus and we can learn to do what we were made for. And that is simply this, to run to him. To to run towards his light. To learn how to delight in him and his word. Even when it's convicting to say, Lord, I I see that dark spot in in my heart. But I know that you have taken it. Shine that light on me. Lord, Lord, show me. Shine your light on me. Let me see any unclean way. And cleanse me. Help me to delight in you. Lord, would you be my joy? That is what we were made to do. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you were there in the beginning, that everything was made through you, that everything is sustained through you. Jesus, that you have never let go of this world and your people in it. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that even when your creation rebelled against you and as they continued to run away from you and as we continued to run away from you, Jesus, you came running after us and you took our place and you took our sin, you took our shame, you took our guilt so that your holiness can point us Onward, It can point us towards you. It can point us to who you have made us to be in you. Jesus, help us to love you more. Help us to delight in you. Help our minds to be ever stayed on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand as we continue in worship?